Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Noxherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include complex and complicated relationships, romance, flirting, references to sexual entanglements, and references to explosions. Arc 6, Episode 2, Torch to a Block of Ice, from Nian by Hu Min Yen. Weave be sapped, come weave be gone. Weave be withered from dragon tongue. Blood of blood spilled claw or fang. Gesh be bound by dead queen rain. Only when one soul outlast shall dragon's bane come true to pass. At night, Bolshaya used to resemble a rainbow constellation of shanties woven from hide and bone, buildings sculpted from ice and light, the heady smell of fish stew punctuating the permafrost. Outdoor looms used to brace against massive dowels punching out of frozen earth, a perennially incomplete tapestry. Snaking between shacks and gurs, tents and fences, walls and poles, the story of Bolshaya's entire history laid bare for all to see. This monumental tapestry, the biggest one in all the commune, was once the threaded jewel of Morose. Five miles long, twenty-five feet tall, strung from innumerable tons of wool. But now... The tapestry of Bolshaya, this living, breathing document of the capital's entire history, just like the rest of the city, is shredded. The cataclysm cracked Zima Lake open. Half of Bolshaya fell into the murky abyss, and the other half was forever changed. Gentle, Jaron, Abiku, and V. The four of you shimmer into existence atop a raised dais in the center of town. 
As reality glistens back into form around you, you see the splintered remains of the commune's capital. Shacks cobbled from borrowed Kyrian wood. Hollow husks of buildings shattered chunks of ice, and the people, sweat-faced and downtrodden, clustering around paltry bonfires for warmth. But perhaps the most striking feature of Bolshaya post-collapse is the crevasse. Miles long and dozens and dozens of feet wide, slashing through the heart of the city like an assassin's dagger. And the tapestry, that warp and weft of Bolshaya's history, is nowhere to be seen. There is work to be done. Jaron and gentle, Bolshaya was your home, the place where you became friends, where you grew up, hurt each other, kept going, learned from your mistakes. Abiku, the northernmost reaches of Moreau's beckon to you, promising clarity about the muddled miasma that is your memory. V, you seek your own destiny here, truths about your lineage, resolution to a long journey of vengeance and remembrance. And of course, all four of you seek an ancient tapestry woven by Jinka Da, former paragon of Nitibuza, currently in the possession of the Chromium Order. A tapestry with desperately needed answers about the Stranger War. And now as your party stands atop this elevated dais, looking down and around at this shattered capital all around you, I want to know who each of you are. Let's refresh our memories here, eh? Starting with V. Who are you? What do you look like as you're standing atop this dais? And what have you been up to in the days leading up to this excursion? Yes, you see V, uh, Nakshurzo, a elf woman, a sorcerer with draconic ancestry. You see her white skin, dragon scales, green dragon scales along the edges of her face. She has white flowing hair. It's much longer now than when we first met V so long ago. It feels like almost a year ago. She's got Kelly green and purple streaks in that hair. Her eyes, one being that same Kelly green in one eye and uh, the same purple in the other eye as she holds Scott and Nectis as a paragon inside of her. For the first time, you've seen her in a fur coat, like a green fur coat that she uses for the extra warmth here in Moreau's. It's not as much coverage as you would expect maybe someone needing. There may be just a little bit of magic at play with her draconic resilience to the cold. You see perhaps maybe on her fingers a couple of plain bands of silver and gold, maybe representing some relationships. Because while she was away, she was visiting her love, her wife, Lotus, also representing her relationship to Rev. She's also probably been to Nabal a little bit, checking on a, a business that was probably wrecked during uh, Arc 3 and hopefully is being a little bit rebuilt. Maybe checking in with how things are going in Nabal because she is the paragon of Scott and Nectis. I think she's also been catching up with Oka about what was going on with the other party during their time apart and uh, has learned some things. I know like last arc, she was a bit more emo. She's kind of felt some things about her, uh, her destiny. And now she's got sort of a, I'm going to take care of business attitude here. She's, she seems more alert. She seems 
more going about her business than we've probably seen. She also has these threads, these green and purple threads around her body from her time in another plane where she almost dissolved. When she gets real upset, you can see these things starting to glow a little bit. And we'll just leave it at that. So that's how we find V at this moment. As we like pan away from your very focused face, right? Your mismatched eyes taking in the shattered remnants of a once beautiful, booming commune capital. We're gonna pan like away from you and toward Jaron. Jaron Kather is a green dragonborn. They have this dark brown skin that transitions uh, along the edges of their face, their arms, and the rest of their body into this dark green scaled skin. They have long flowing white hair and uh, green horns uh, on their head. And similarly to V, for the first time, I think in a very long time, Jaron is also wearing winter clothing today. Jaron's armor is now lined with fur on his chest piece, on their bracers, etc. You can see like this white fur kind of poking out from underneath it to keep them warm. They have a fur-lined hood pulled over their face right now with little holes for their horns and you can see sort of icy blue morosin threads threaded through their horns. And they have the skin of a bear sort of wrapped around their shoulders in order to keep them warm as well. They're Blackberry purple eyes kind of like scan the horizon and their tail kind of lashes in a way that there are a lot of very complicated emotions that Jaron is feeling in this moment. It's the first time that they've been back home since the cataclysm, since all of the things that happened on Adolin. And it's terrible seeing Bolshaya like this, but it's also a sense of relief. There's a familiarity to it even in Bolshaya's current state, even in the fact that none of these buildings are familiar to him and the landscape looks drastically different than it used to, but it's still home. And so I think when Jaron first arrives on the dais, he kind of steps off of it and just kind of immediately just sinks down into the snow on the ground, gathers a whole bunch of it into a snowball, turns around and tosses it at Gentle. I'm a monk. Can I catch this? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, this counts as a deflect missiles moment. Oh, absolutely. I'm just going to catch it and throw it right back. Jaron was not expecting for Gentle to have such quick reflexes because I don't think we've actually had a chance to really see the way that Gentle has improved in that regard. So Jaron is caught off guard and just straight in the face. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and Jaron just like bursts out laughing. It's this like very pure, natural laugh that just kind of like comes out from in, like deep within his chest. Um, I, I think are, you're okay, right? Like, I'm fine, gentle. Okay. Just wanted to make sure you can't you can't sneak up on me like that and throw stuff. You, I like I dodged a bomb like a month ago. This wasn't gonna be a problem. I suppose that's true. I didn't realize actually how much you uh, have gotten better at dodging snowballs since the last time that we had a snowball fight. We should do a big snowball fight at some point after we save the world. Be nice. We should. While this has been happening, Jaron has been gathering snow, takes a snowball, and throws it at a biku. Hmm? <laughs> 
<laughs> the snow one just splats against Abiku's face. Uh, and I think, like, as Abiku's features are obscured by this splat of, like, icy frost, some of the particles, like, drift through the wind and float past Gentle's face, who has gracefully dodged all missiles. And as we look upon you, Gentle, what do we see? You see, uh, Gentle, a surprisingly taller than anyone realizes, Triton, like, 6'2". They are not wearing anything too dissimilar. They are wearing the trademark big red cloak that's always fur-lined. They have a purple sort of sleeved tank top. The only real difference to their outfit is it actually has sleeves now and big baggy uh, patchwork pants. But otherwise, they same old gentles always. There is a mask at the hip adorned in red, gold, and black to uh, represent Yudabathe. Gentle is gentle and walking. Right next to them is a direwolf with an attitude. Yes, Bud, the former direwolf pup, now direwolf juvenile, adolescent, we might say, uh, comes up to like your waist, almost to your, your, your chest, gentle, and you're over six foot, so that's saying something. It looks like a wolf, but just blown up and huge. Grayish fur, big clawed paws are sort of like kneading at the ground a little bit. They're looking around at all the snow. Even though direwolves are very at home in Arctic conditions, Bud looks a little out of place. Like their big black lychee glistening eyes are just like blinking. They're taking in all of this stuff. Their ears are flicking this way and that. Their big wet noses is going. They seem a little overwhelmed by this brand new place. They're still shaking off some of the magic particles that are floating off of the teleportation dais a little bit. Like they're not used to it. And despite their cold shoulder attitude toward you these past couple of days slash weeks, gentle, they do huddle up against you because you are the one point of familiarity in this strange new place for them. Speaking of which, though, gentle, what have you been up to in these past couple of days? I mean, we spend a decent amount of time actually visiting the Court of Ravens. I promised a friend tea a while ago, my, my friend Root, and also just to sort of show them how big Bud's gotten and stuff. That was like a, a cool little stop off for a while. And then we went back to Dr. O's and probably uh, helped around uh, where we could. I've been trying to just win Bud over slowly with making a lot of nice meals, which I assume everyone else at Dr. O's appreciated as well. I think it's been a slow but gradual process of earning Bud's trust back. They will now obey your commands when you say come. Don't get too far away. Maybe like snuggle here tonight, but they won't they won't do anything more than just listen to like a single command or two. As they're up against your legs, you hear like like a low kind of anxious growl beginning to rumble in their throat a bit as they look around, you know, like Hey, 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 hey. Are you are you okay? Yeah, I don't I don't like this place, gentle. It's a lot colder than Dabathati was, and I guess the court was kind of cold too, but achoo! Oh, okay, so, I can hmm, if you want a little scarf or something, I can absolutely get one for you, um, but also No, I'm okay, no, I'm, I'm okay I'll just freeze to death, it's fine Do you have a favorite color, bud? Um, I like dark gray Okay, I'm good dark gray I will get you a dark gray scarf and also, here's this, and it's like a little piece of, uh, like, dog, like a dog treat made for, uh, like, calming and dealing with anxiety and stuff, too. I make them for people. I need to make them for Bud as well. Mm, fine. It'll help. Uh, Bud snaps it up and, like, you know, makes a big show of reluctantly eating it. Like, puts it down, like, 
Hmm, that's not a big sigh. Gets down and starts chewing at it, right? <laughs> Are you feeling any better? And like, Bud is intentionally not responding by chewing around the response. If you need more, just let me know. And at this point, I think some of the snow that was maybe on a Biku's face falls onto the ground. And as we pan up the considerable uh, length of a Biku's body, a Biku, tell us what we see. A Biku is Shars, the tallest woman you've met. (laughs) She's dark skinned. She has white locks, a cloud on each face that is moving. Um, I think the one that got hit is like snowing for a little bit until she like wipes the snow off her face. She has white eyes that are like there's no people or iris or anything. It's just like if you MS paint poured white into an eye is what you get. And she wears like light blue like dress and she's wearing a rather large like homemade coat from uh, a yeti from the last time she was here it doesn't smell anymore into it into it and abiku what have you been up to in the days leading up to this excursion mostly getting this coat ready if i'm being real she like got it out right and was like we're going to the cold place again and you take my coat and i don't know who but someone was like honey please treat this thing I think it was probably Dr. Aluso's very gentle <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> I think I sort of talked around it, like tried to be subtle about it. Um, uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's, that's pretty much it. They're very distinctly not hanging out with people. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Into it, into it. Uh, and I think as we like pan away from you, Abiku, we see stepping out of the shadow of your massive height of like eight, eight feet or something, we see Costas. Uh, who is, of course, an elf. But as always, Costas has a hood drawn over their head, like a furred hood to disguise their features. They just look like a, a traveler you might see, like, high in the mountains, just bundled up with no discernible features. Like, they could be a mannequin for as far as, you know, like a thick kind of leather coat, big, you know, pants stuffed into these, like, big, like, hiking, like, boots with like snow treads on like lashed onto the bottom uh but as like they sort of like adjust their hood a little bit like like opaque uh white cloud comes out from like the mouth area we pan up and we see in the shadow of this hood a face uh half of it is beautifully handsome with this like dark skin like these like piercing eyes right even like a soft you know like smirk curved on one side of their mouth and the other side is just is ice is made from like actual ice Right. And like that side of their face doesn't move at all. Like doesn't really express or anything like that. Also doesn't even have any hair coming out of it. Um, Costas is half ice, half person. Uh, and Costas is sort of like, ugh, like grumbling and grousing. And they sort of say up to you kind of sideways out at the side of their mouth, Abiku. Um, I'm really glad you finally treated that Yeti hide. At least our tents this time around don't have to stink to high heavens. Well, it would not have stunk if you did not eat so many beans. But my beans have nothing to do with... It was the Yeti hide, Piku. I... Well, there is only one way to test it if you have beans. Not in front of the new people, okay? That one is throwing things? I don't know why, but you must be careful. It's it's a childhood game. That's drawn. You're not children. Well, I, I know, I know. Maybe he's just, he's got a child, like, whimsy about him or something. I don't know. Fuck it. Read between the lines of Biku. Does he want to have children? No, I don't no. Know. Well, I don't know. Maybe. But listen, 
Costas, like, gestures for you to lean down kind of away from the rest of the party. I, I like... You have to, like, crouch. It's like the, yeah. the meme of, like, yeah. how to talk to a short person. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> like, crouch. Oh, so I pick him up. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, let me down. Let me go. Oh, sorry. I no. just forgot you don't like that. Yes? Just you I come like down to me. Down. Listen, I'm also from Bolshaya, okay? So I know of Jaron Gentle. I don't actually, I mean, we never, we were never friends, but there's a lot of nasty rumors about Jaron. No, no, we just didn't, you know, we just weren't in the same, you know, commune of the commune. Know what I mean? Are, no, are you sure you want to meet them? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I wasn't, look, I wasn't always like this. Okay, Abiku, oh. as you know, like I wasn't always, but listen, you have to watch out for that Jaron kid. Okay, because even before all this stuff happened with his arm and whatever Oko was saying, l- listen, Jaron, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. It's just, it's bad luck to say it in the commune. I'm not even going to. You know what the okay, number one so, rule in the commune is? Basically the only rule, because everything here is shared. Uh, you don't talk about things that are very important and dangerous? No, 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 no. Don't hoard. Greed oh. and selfishness is the worst thing you could do in the commune. Because you know what that kid did? conditions. Yes, exactly. And we have to share everything. That's the spirit of the yeah. commune. The whole hold hands. Everyone's equal here. Yada, 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 yada. Listen, I don't trust that dragonborn farther than I can hawk him across the lake by his tail. Okay? Oh, so that just... is that is not very far. You are not very strong. I'm pretty strong. I'm fine. You know what? I'm just trying to watch out for you, Abiku, okay? Cause... No, I, I understand. I would watch him very closely. I'll see him coming before you. I have better. Good, listen. good. Yeah, listen, just keep an eye out on them for me, okay? Abiku, like, stands up and just starts staring at Jerron. Yeah, nice, nice. Costas straightens up and also sort of glares over at Jaron. Jaron will lean over to Gentle and in Morosi, very quietly whisper, why are they staring at us? I mean, there's like three reasons. Um, we are also from here. We have a track, you have a track record, and I mean that with all the love in my heart. Um, and you have a track record here. Right. <sighs> right, yeah. I forgot that Costas would know about yeah. that. And I think Jaron just kind of like nervously rubs his hand along his right arm, which he has a right arm now. It's a prosthetic. Over the course between Dabathati and being here in Morose, Jaron had spent his time in Rasso in Nabal in order to see Kane, to spend some time with them and to relax and process a lot of the things that happened. But during that time, he also met up with Dewey. And as we know, Dewey is an artificer and is very good at making prosthetics. And Dewey made Jaron's new arm for them. So the prosthetic is made of like these thin metal filaments. So it's essentially in the hollow shape of a hand. So there's no actual, there's no actual like substance inside of it. You can see right through it. And it blossoms out from his elbow from this black lotus flower that is made of obsidian. The actual hand itself kind of like shoots out from within this flower as if it's blossoming out of it. Stepping out also uh, from the dais is like a shadow that falls over V as Rev 
shrugs off the hood that she's stitched on, or actually she's manifested it out of magic because she's also a paragon, uh, of her like feathered cape. Uh, and we see this tall, not quite as tall as Abiku, probably around the same height as Gentle actually, uh, drow woman with this like kind of like ashen, like dark gray skin and mismatched eyes. One is black and one is gold. She has this like short cropped, I think like black hair that at this point is starting to mullet a bit. The back part is starting to grow out a little bit. It's like shaved on the sides. She hasn't quite decided what to do with it because she hasn't gotten Oka to cut it yet. She's got a really chiseled jawline and these like high, almost like regal noble looking features uh, and this like thick feather cape like coming out to form these pauldrons over her broad shoulders, right? And like this black leather armor that goes all the way down to these like big black kind of leather boots leans into you, V, as you're also like taking everything in, a look of concentration on your face, and she just goes, you know, I really wouldn't trust Jaron uh, either if I were you here, V. Yeah, no, I'm... If you pan just a little bit to the right, you see V is like the whole time has been glaring at Jaron. And when Jaron was throwing snowballs, if you look at V's hand down by her side, you could see that like heat emanating from her hand to do a fire spell. Like it, if you could have touched her hand, it would have been like a hundred degrees. It was like burning and ready to like throw some fire. He swears he's changed, but uh, yeah, you know, old dogs, new tricks. So keep an eye on him this entire journey, yeah? Yeah, no, it takes, it takes an untrustworthy person to know an untrustworthy person and I do not trust that person. That means a lot coming from you, V, actually. And uh, yeah, I take umbrage with anyone who tries to sacrifice one of the paragons for their own selfish gain. <clears throat> and Rev sort of says that louder, uh, so it's not just V that can hear. And also, V is also speaking a little bit louder, murders the loved ones of said paragons. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, I'm not a big fan of getting my loved ones murdered. Actually, the whole reason why I'm back. Um, I think, okay. Abiku leans down to Casas again. So is this going to be like the dinner then? Uh, yeah, I imagine that this entire journey is just going to be like the dinner, but just uh, extended. Why is that one raising oh. their hand? I don't know. You, you got a problem, Gentle? No, it, uh, it, uh, well, yes. Uh, hey, before we actually like we're all here together on like a job and I know there may be some higher tensions, but maybe we should have an airing of grievances like above board so everyone is at least on the same page so there's not a lot of this the entire time because like, uh, this is gonna be exhausting. Gentle, we don't need to... <clears throat> I, I, I don't think that would be necessary. Fair, I just... If we're gonna be mad at each other, we should just say it at least. I don't like when people say it quietly. All right, quietly. I'm mad at Jaron. That's a little better, actually. Thank you. I do not have any feelings or opinion on Jaron. I was told to be careful. You did throw a snow at me. I do not know what that was about, but it wasn't. It didn't. I was worried it was. It had like a knife in it or something at first, but then it did not. So, it, it's you're still at like. There's no score either way, but I was told to be careful, and you did throw snow at me first thing, so it's it's a little confusing. But I am not mad at you, but I also do not like you. You are like a stranger. 
Sorry, Abiku, I thought you were familiar with snowball fights. I would never throw a knife at you, just so we're clear, everyone. Oh, and Jaron right. just oh really? Really? At everyone. You would yes, never throw well. a knife at any of us. No. Do you promise? If that will make you feel better, Rev, yes. It, it, you know what, what would what would make me feel better, gentle? Uh, thank you for bringing that up, actually, is if this one swears, crosses his heart in front of all of us right now in plain view to not fucking double-cross us ever again. Rev, I can do that for you, but just so you're all aware, I am already bound by a blood oath to Oka not to do that again. Where is it? Jaron holds out his left hand, which is where Oka had cut his palm open in order to enact this blood curse. And I imagine that the scar from that is still there magically as sort of like a sign of its uh, existence and of it still being active. And he just kind of holds it out and shows Rev. Rev takes it, and as she does and, like, sort of looks at it, uh, you feel the weave tighten a little bit around her as she's, like, casting some sort of, like, identify spell or something to make sure that it's actually, like, a binding blood oath. And, like, as she does, Costas is peeking, like, around Abiku's shoulder, being like, yeah, yeah, do that magic thing. Yeah, ver- verify it. Yeah, verify it. Right? As, like, Rev is, is looking at it, and she's, she just goes, <laughs> fine, I guess that counts. But I'm not keeping a single eye off you this entire journey, you hear me? Do whatever will make you feel better, Rev. Look, I'm here to make up for what I did, okay? I'm trying. Only time will tell. And Rev lets go of your hand, right? And like leans away from you and turns, right? Keeping an eye on you, but like turns to go back to V. I think V the whole time while Rev is like starting to turn away, um, continues to stare at Jaron, and I think they probably make eye contact for a little bit, like, as Rev is moving away, and there's just, like, that feeling of, like, I think what Rev just said of, like, I'm keeping my eyes on you, I think V is saying it without saying it, just with eye contact, and you almost see, like, the Kelly Green eye just glowing just a little bit. Scott is probably, like, that part of V that's also, like, really loving this sort of, like, oh, yeah, and, like, you're not gonna get me this time. All of you hear a voice calling out towards your party. Ah, equilibrium. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for coming out. Excuse me, excuse me. Oh, Elder coming through. Uh, And we see Elder Pohaku uh, coming through like this like mottled kind of disheveled looking crowd uh, accompanied only by like a single aide. Like, every other world leader is accompanied like, by, by fanfare. Like, Kane specifically was, like, borne up onto a float. You know, every, every time, like, they enter an alliance meeting, like, onto a float with, like, beautiful naked people dancing around them. But Elder Pohaku just has, like, a single assistant. This cherry-faced kind of, like, youth who's who's rather chubby, who's, like, helping Elder Pohaku navigate over the icy ground uh, with, with their cane. Uh, and this is, of course, an older satyr man. Uh, he's got a... Uh, this like tangled kind of like hirsute beard knotted into sort of like a shirt, woven into a shirt like around uh, his front, like a tunic and, and down his back in like a traditional Morosan way. to just sort of let your hair grow out and protect you from the elements. Uh, and he's like leaning on like a knobbled wood cane and his aide is helping him along. Uh, hello, hello. Th- 
thank you so much for coming. Uh, please, please, please follow me. Hello. How was the journey? The zap in? I think V is the immediate one to like almost snap over and be like instantly her face like warms up and like Elder Buhaku, this is so lovely to meet you again, friend. I'm I'm so glad that our paths are crossing and extends like a hand to hand shake, but like also sees like how precarious with the snow and the cane in the in the snow. So instead of like reaching for the hand, just like maybe puts her shoulder or hand on the shoulder and like helping like stabilize and just like giving like a gentle squeeze on the shoulder and like just very warm to him. Oh, thank you. What a warm welcome. Please, please let Morose in hospitality uh, welcome you. Uh, uh, Pachi, please. Uh, and the age sort of fishes some, I think, dried cheese curds uh, out from their pockets and offers it to all of you. V definitely would like take a couple and like pop them into her mouth. Uh, I will offer back some candy I made. Oh, that looks delicious and homemade. That, yeah, I make uh, a lot of little treats and stuff. Um, yeah, these ones are just like kind of hard candies that help with just general easing the nerves and stuff. Mm, well, thank you. Make. Don't mind if I do, Pachi, please, in my later candy sack. Uh, please take some curds. You, the, um, oh, drawn. Elder Pohaku, it's nice to see you again, and Jeron just kind of, like, inclines his head very respectfully. Aha! Uh-huh. It's been quite a few years, young person, since you've been back home. You and Gentle both. Yes, we, after the cataclysm, we needed to find somewhere safe to be, and, well, our travels took us elsewhere, but we're home now. Ah, uh, well, I, I'm terribly sorry about your parents, young one. Uh, well, we have mm-hmm. a memorial set up uh, past my tent for all the souls lost during the cataclysm. Thank you. That's actually a relief to know, to hear that something, that someone did something for them while we were gone. Of course! The only way the dead live on now that the after is gone is in our hearts, our memories, and our stories. That's how they continue to glow in the now. Uh, but but in, in brighter news, uh, hello! You're big! Yes. A Biku Ishtar, was it? Of course, yes. yes. You were with uh, the Paragon of Nitbusa a couple months ago coming up to Bolshaya. Yes, yep. Congratulations uh, for all of your uh, successful assistance in helping Voska solve the unspooling. Yes, I am very good at helping. I've helped a lot of people. Ah, the Paragon's best assistant on this journey. My anxieties are already put to rest. Oh, yes. Always the assistants. Assistants are very much well needed. Isn't that right, Pachi? Oh, yes. Oh, feed me a cheese curd. Uh, thank you. Uh, and you, of course, Paragon of Scud and Nectus, I feel great about having you on our team and the Paragon of the Raven Queen. Uh, it's so good to have all of you here. Uh, please, please, follow me to my tent. As a beacon, just matters to herself in uh, mostly obscenities. Costas leans in at that, actually. Whoa, Piku, that's like the first time I've heard you swear that much. 
Oh, I forgot I taught you these swears. Um, it's, I'm just making sure I still know what you know. I don't really talk it to anyone. No, no, I get it. I mean, that elder Pohaku literally didn't even acknowledge me. It doesn't feel great to be in the shadow of the Paragons, know what I mean? Well, it does, you literally were in my shadow. So what, what, I, well, now it's awkward. Now we're walking toward the tent. I don't want to bring, bring it up. No, it's okay. I mean, I get what you mean. I, I was upset about that, but like, it's, I mean, it's whatever. It's the whole thing. I mean, we don't have to die when the world ends, so. That's true. That's true. That, you know what? Let them have their little horse and pony and elk show, because we'll be the ones, uh, I guess, picking up the poop when the circus is out of town. Well, someone has to tell the story, right? When it's all done. <laughs> yeah, I guess someone does. And I think, like, we pan over to where V and Rev are walking and following Elder Pohaku. I think V, as soon as uh, the Elder has turned, turns his back to V, V's, like, cheerful, warm demeanor, like, becomes a little bit more cold. And I think she's, like, looking around and just making note of, like, anything, anything that looks suspicious. Like, she does not want to be caught by any type of surprise right now. Mm, make a perception check. First roll of the new arc. Thirteen. Okay. A mid-average roll for the first arc. Give it up for thirteen. Give it up for thirteen. It's been a while since you've been back to the commune. Uh, V, you strike me as a worldly traveler. You've probably been all places, right, given your long life. This is the saddest state you've ever seen any aspect of the commune in. Like, the this place, Bolshaya, used to have, like, a massive buildings of glass and ice uh, and like lights were suspended within the ice that would like light up like a miniature night sky in the evening and during the day like children would slide around on ice sculptures and there were like these huge tents and festivals all the time this looks like a little bit of a ghost town because a huge crack runs through literally the middle of the town and is so massive that it's swallowed up almost like a sinkhole half of the entire city, which is massive. Uh, so what remains are like dilapidated shacks, like a bunch of things have been like cracked and ruined and broken and shattered and splintered everywhere. Tents and gurs and shacks and huts. Ice sculptures have like crumbled. These ice sculptures take years to craft and they have not even begun like 10% of the rebuilding effort here. So a lot of the housing here is temporary, like imported gurs and yurts from Kirtal. I think V takes all this in and also, like, just takes one more look at the rest of the party at Ubiku Costas and then Gentle and then, like, one just, like, quick burning glare at Jaron and then maybe, like, just heads looking forward towards where the Elder is going. Mm. Throughout this whole walk to the tent, Jaron is making a pointed effort to avoid eye contact with everyone else and it's just kind of, like, burning a hole into Elder Pohaku's back. Do I notice this? Yes. I think I like Whisper Morosi. If you need anything, I can help. I'm here for you. I'm so sorry. That's okay, Gentle. Thank you. Of course. Bud also continues, like, padding along. A couple of people huddled up around bonfires, like, lean away when they see Bud, right? Like this like massive dire wolf, which is usually a wild animal, a wild ass animal, right? And there's no like collar on Bud or anything, right? Gentle, because I, I assume you took Sybil's off. 
I did take Sybil's off. Um, we can get him one while we're here, but uh, he doesn't. His old one doesn't fit anymore. He definitely doesn't have a leash, so he's just sort of like free walking alongside you, which is making some people nervous. Uh, and by the time we get to this slightly larger tent than the other tents here, but it's by no means flashy at all. It's still a very humble tent, like nowhere near the size of Taktoa Kagon's war tent, right? Um, the elder sort of like pauses in front of it, opens up the the flap and welcomes all of you in. And you see a very like warm, homely tent with like nice like hide rugs on on the floor, as well as these like wooden ribs erecting the canvas flaps of the tent upright and like a little magical fire burning in like a, a low wooden hearth in the back. There's just a single very low round table and like cushions for you to sit and kneel on. Elder Pohaku gets helped, you know, his, his down onto their knees and <clears throat> sort of settles in and Pachi starts to put on some water to boil in the corner. And gestures for all of you to sit. Please, please make yourselves at home. I'm very terribly sorry, but the uh, council tent for the elders was also lost during the cataclysm. And as you all know, I'm the only remaining elder uh, on the council. Abika sits. Jaron will also sit down. If there's enough room for Bud, then uh, I, w- I will sit down as well. He will definitely like find a spot and sort of like sit straight down cross-legged onto a cushion. Yeah, Rev and Costas also join and the tent flap is buttoned shut again. Wonderful, well then please, uh, ask away. I'm sure you have many questions. I have a long and storied knowledge. Some people joke that my beard could be perhaps the second tapestry here. Um, but I, I will lend as much knowledge and wisdom and folk intelligence as I can to aid you on your quest. Well, have you heard of a tapestry about the Paragon Wars, Elder? I have. As far as I know, it's in possession of the uh, Chromium Order. V, like, lets out a little smirk. And what do you know about the Chromium Order? I know what everyone knows, and then a little bit more. I know that they are one of the, if not the, the most powerful adventurers' guilds in Handake. They have a stellar reputation. Their headquarters are a couple days travel away from here on, on sled to the northeast, uh, across the lake, actually, Abiku, from uh, Jinka's Grace. I know that they, uh, they've been doing nothing but trying to help the people of Endake since the Cataclysm, offering us materials to make shelters from, a game uh, when our people couldn't hunt, uh, fish, fresh forage, berries, uh, medicine, that sort of thing. So it seems like you were saying we will find them and they will just let us look at this tapestry and it will be fine. You do have to be a member of the Chromium Order to enter uh, the organization. They do occasionally offer tours of the space. Do you have a brochure of these tours? Uh, I I do, actually. <laughs> and he gestures at Pachi. 
Pachi pops open a trunk and it's sort of like a, a shelves come out, sort of like a salesman briefcase, you know what I mean? And there's like various brochures in each shelf of like various adventurers guilds all across Andake. We see like the iron flask, right? And like the gold horseshoe as like names of guilds. And they pluck out one that does not have very many brochures left. Seems to be a very popular one called the Chromium Order. Uh, and the logo is of a fist and each five fingers on the fist is a different color. There's black, white, green, red, and blue. Plucks out this brochure and hands it to you, Abiku. Oh, I will be real. I was I was being a little bit of a shit, but this is actually very useful. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Could I look I... at that, Abiku? Oh, we have yeah, plenty. Yeah, yeah. just the rest of it. One to each person. And like each of you are is handed a brochure. Oh. Why do you have so many? Oh, well, you know... Uh, Every capital is also a re- recruiting station for the various adventurers guilds of Endake. Technically, the Hounds of Mercy are is an adventurers guild. Are, are you aware of that? I don't know who handles your paperwork, but you're registered. Is there, is there a benefits program to that? There should be. Actually, I think I have your brochure here too, Pachi. I would love to see that. And Pachi digs through the briefcase, like, can't find it, opens up, like, a false bottom and digs through a bunch of discarded brochures and pulls one out that's, like, stained with dust and, like, some sort of soup stain. And it's a it's a Hound of Mercy brochure that looks like it was made, like, 15 years ago uh, that features, like, a hand-drawn portrait of Mercy on the front, but, like, her hair is short. You know what I mean? She looks much younger, and it's like Hounds of Mercy, and it's like handwritten. You open it up, and she's just like, come hunt monsters. And it's like written horribly, that has not been copy edited. Like, it's promising things like dental, full coverage, health insurance, like vacation time. Like, none of this is true. It's completely false. Pachi hands it to, to Jaron and Gentle. Jaron looks at it, gives it a glance over. We never got vacation time. We never got any of the... How hard is it to start a guild? Well, there's uh, quite a lot of paperwork involved, and after the cataclysm... Well, are are you looking to start one? Backburner question. Who did Mercy date who would have done paperwork? Because Mercy wouldn't have done paperwork herself. Wooming. No, that was too, too, too long. Too old to go. I think... As that's being passed by and V like catches a glimpse of like the illustration of a uh, younger Mercy, like in Jukai, she mutters, oh, that looks familiar to me. Uh, and that's it. How loudly are you saying that? Yeah. You can probably, like, you can probably hear it. But she says in Jukai, so she thinks no one else can hear it <laughs> or understand it. I think Jaron gives Gentle a look at that. Like, you heard that too, right? Just putting a pin in that one for a second. Jerron is going to look down at the Chromium Order brochure and kind of like leaf through it really quickly and then look back up at Elder Pohaku. Elder, if I may ask, this tapestry belongs to Morose, to the Morosi people, no? Why does the Chromium Order keep possession of it? Well, a lot of adventurers' guilds, depending on the... um. A country they're registered in, they keep some of the treasure that they find on their various excursions and quests for themselves. Uh, this tapestry is is one such treasure. I see. And the elder council are are you interested in retrieving it for Morose or 
Oh, well, uh, that's sort of fallen to the back burner, I have to admit. I'm currently immediately concerned with um, rebuilding Bolshaya and making sure that people don't starve to death here. So if we get it and bring it back, that would be good for you? Yes, but uh, the Chromium Order does have a legal claim to the tapestry. Uh, we could try... Which is, they found it? Yes. There's there's kind of a finder's keeper's rule a little bit here. Um, I look at when it... V. <laughs> what if we find it? I'm very good at finding finding things and keeping them. Also, I think what V while this is talking, V is like scouring anything for like the mention of Sievert in this brochure. Uh, he's right there. So he has like a he has a he has his own page, uh, Sievert Rathstone, like the you know he's like yeah he's got his like very much like a CrossFit profile, you know what I mean? Kind of like black and white graphite. Like the, the high he looks buff. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 like a CrossFit trainer profile a little bit. He looks buff as hell. Um, this uh, white dragonborn man, very handsome. Uh, so for those of you who haven't seen Sievert before, he is in this like finely pressed charcoal gray suit and these like ridged antlers sprout from his brow and these like whiskers, I think he's like a beard, like, but it's kind of like Asian dragon style, like kind of like whiskers sprout sort of like from his face. His eyes are like deeply cold and blue, just like ice, right? And one of his canines as he's sort of like smirking, you know, in this picture is capped with like a gold tooth. And the bio for Sievert is like, Sievert Rathstone has been the Fang to Tehran for the past, I wanna say, let's say 52 years. Um, Talks about like his like accolades, right? Like how he started, he cut his teeth as a young adventurer. He's always been enamored with stories of like treasure and helping people. You know, he clawed his way up in the ranks of the Chromium Order to be Fang to Tehran. In the brochure, you also learn some stuff about the Chromium Order, if you want me to lore dump a little at you. Uh, so oh, you, yes. you learn it as a combination from Elder Pohaku telling you, and also through the brochure, you learn that the Chromium Order was is kind of an ancient adventurer's guild. It's been around for a while. It used to be something else entirely. Uh, it Legends say the origin of the Chromium Order is in the wake of the Thousand Year War. But then they just sort of like died out a little bit. Like there was like, it's it's unclear in the brochure and in Elder Pohaku's retelling why the order faded and just sort of like was lost to the annals of history. But sometime after the Gambit of Queens, uh, picked up again, right? And was reestablished as like a proper adventurer's guild. There's there's a ton of dragon lore that I've been working on that I don't just want to like brain dump spew at you right now. Uh, but I think that's I think that's all you would know from the brochure. Yeah. Can I beg the hamster on the wheel in my brain to be like, is the description of stuff even accurate? I want to go why, dunk on these dragoners. Why don't you make a insight check on yourself? I shall. 17 plus 9 is a math number. 26. As you <laughs> stare down at this brochure, you start to feel a little woozy. I look at Casas. I'm going to pass out. Do not worry. What? And you pass out. Abiku, you find yourself in a rough stone tunnel, all rocky crenellations and the fizz of raw magic sparking in the weave. You're standing, back folded against a jagged wall, your ears and eyes straining to take in as much information as possible. You peer around a corner, and you glimpse 
a chamber. Hundreds of feet tall, thousands of feet deep, swarming with mages. Youthful mages, cheeks flushed with cheerful adolescence, swooping through the air, practicing martial forms on the ground, lounging on rocky outposts, washing their hair in pools at the base of a mighty thundering waterfall. This chamber is massive, big enough to fit an entire township. You stiffen as several draconic mages walk past you into this chamber, but they don't spare you a second glance. You're all titans here, after all. And your gaze is drawn toward a series of elevated platforms in the center of this chamber where you see older mages teaching younger ones how to shift. One by one, lines of nervous teenagers step up to a rocky ledge, eyes squeezed shut, fists clenched, brows furrowed in concentration. One of them, you see, spreads their arms and whoosh! Feathers pop up from their skin, prickling upward through their pores. A tuft of fur balloons bristles out of their neck. Their body elongates, claws sprout from their belly. And this teenager now, in full draconic form, writhes in a serpentine manner through the air of roar of laughter, vibrating through this chamber, airy and free and thunderous. And on that roar, Ebiku... We push in on your eyes, wide and focused, as you're taking in this training chamber as a spy for young mages of various draconic orders learning how to become warriors, how to become adults. And in this close-up of your eyes, Abiku, we see pupils. For the first time, your eyes unclouded. We see your gaze with iris within them. And then... You are jolted back into your body, uh, right into full awareness of your skin, your bones, your fingers, the, the heat from the hearth and the magical fire, Elder Pohaku's voice still talking, Costas's hand on your shoulder, stabilizing you, your eyelids flutter back open. What do you do? I look at Costas. Oh, how long was it that time? How long was... Oh, how long oh, it? uh, uh, five seconds. Oh, that's good. Cool. What did you see? She just. Abiku, hey. What did you see? Oh, there was some kids in a circle doing some coming of age stuff. What? Huh? Uh, I think Elder Pohaku has been talking during this entire time. And yeah, Abiku kind of doesn't really. Yeah. yeah. You're having a sidebar with Costas right now, and the Elder. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, it appears. Would yes, you like yes. to share? With the class that you're discussing in your corner? Are we in a class? I did not realize this was... I am sorry, I did not bring a notebook. Oh, right. I've, I've forgotten about your literal language. Um, Would you like to share what you and... Oh, hello, Costas. Uh, I almost didn't see you there behind Abiku. Uh, what the two of you have been discussing? Oh, just how dragon kids became adults. I think V is definitely like... All some pricks up at that. Dragons are in, extinct. Yeah, yeah, supposedly. Yes, supposedly. Yeah, Jaron, it's a whole thing. Elder Pohaku, my apologies. Um, for context, Abiku, is it okay if I share this, Abiku, or do you wanna the stuff that oh, we know about I, you? I was dead for a very long time and got brought back to life. 
Uh, we we think one she, ten thousand. Just about. We think she might have been from the age of giants and dragons, given the memories that occasionally come back to her on random occasions. Oh, elder, this Sievert. Um, do you have uh, a relationship yes. with Sievert? Yes, we're very friendly. Uh, Feng to Tehran is the title of um, the leader. Tehran is, of course, the leader, but he doesn't really get around much. We've never really seen him. Uh, Sievert handles all the day-to-day -day operations, has really good relationship with Bolshaya, has been helping us with our rebuilding effort, uh, sends resources and supplies every fortnight here. Oh, it's, you know, it's funny because I actually met Sievert a long time ago, so it's I love to see that he's being so helpful to you and your community. Oh, good. good. Well, if you're old friends, then, then he's probably your way in. If you want to maybe ask him for the tapestry back nicely, I'm sure he would oblige. He's a very reasonable man. Can we tell that V is being a little shady right now with the whole being friends with Sievert thing? Would y'all like to roll insight and V, you can contest it if you want with a deception or a performance check? I would, yeah, I'm going to contest it. I got a 14. I want to know what Eric got. A 28. <sighs> Damn it. I got a 25. <gasps> I got a, I also got a 28. <laughs> which is the highest I can get without critting. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just give V like the look kind of thing and like smirk and then go back to looking at the elder. Yeah, in terms of anyone else, V's Sievert, V, great friends. This is great. I'm gonna go fine. Elder, have you ever met this Turan? Never. Ever in my life. I know he's at least as old as I am. He's been around for some time. V's gonna like shift the mood for just a little like I just, I feel like I need to warn you that, you know, often where we paragons go, things can somehow get a little messy. I don't know why this would possibly get messy whatsoever. However, I just want to let you know that I just really care for you and your people. And I, I hope that you understand if there is collateral damage, we will do everything in our power to minimize. But I want you to know that it is possible that walking into whatever we walk to, there may be collateral damage. I'm not sure I follow. I don't know. I just want to cover all my bases. This is just consider this a little bit of a, the, the little fine writing at the bottom of the brochure and like V's like holding the brochure that says like, there may be certain dangers and risks of being a paragon. And you know, wherever we go, there seems to be assassins. There seems to be evil creatures trying to kill us. There's just, things just tend to happen when you've got some paragons around and we will protect you all and uh, we just want to make sure that you're prepared for things to maybe get a little messy around here here oh, oh i understand oh when you put it like that yes of course ambient chaos follows paragons that i understand i thought the way you were phrasing it was you were going to stir up trouble but that doesn't seem to be the case so of course of course if I stir up trouble, it is only with the best of intentions. Wow. That's a flat-out lie. <laughs> that is a flat-out ah. lie. I'm going to keep your 28 deception from earlier. <laughs> I got a nap 20 <laughs> on the Elder's insight check. Let me literally... You know, I ain't even mad at you. Looks you in the eyes. 
Yep. Elder Pohaku looks you dead in the eye and just sort of leans in and says, I understand completely that you are the paragon of risk and reward, but do remember, V Noxherzo, that these are my people's lives you're gambling with. V takes a moment, really listens to those words. Trust me, Elder, I'm only interested in making sure that all loose ends are tied up in as neat a package as possible, and I will do everything I can to minimize the damage in that process. Good. Make sure you do. The fewer lives lost in the wake of the cataclysm, the stronger Andake will be for it. We can't waste any time or energy tearing ourselves apart. We have to prepare. I completely agree with you. Good. Then I'm glad our priorities are aligned. Any other questions from the rest of you? I'm good. Unrelated. I would like the the curd recipe later, but that's not a now issue. Oh, yes, uh, Apache, make sure to write that up for more, for when our heroes return. Victorious. Tapestry in tow. And again, I'm aware of the ambient chaos, but yeah, Sievert is reasonable. Chromium Order are good people. They're good folk. They do good things. Um, I'm sure if you just asked they and explained the situation, they just give you the tapestry. Tell them Elder Pohaku sent you, hmm? I mean, if V is friends with Sievert, then I don't anticipate that we'll have any trouble at all. I'll put it this way. If I walked to their front door, knocked and said, Hey, I'm V Noxure, so I'd like to talk to Sievert, they would let me right in, open their doors and all. Perfect. Great. Well then, Pachi, why don't you fix up a little traveling pack for our crew? And uh, you're welcome to stay in Bolshaya as long as you wish before setting out. Um, completely up to you. All right, I have to go drink some tea now. My old bones need some warming. I'll speak to you all whenever you need to speak with me. And thank you again so much for all of your assistance, paragons and uh, helpers. Abiku uh, slightly stays quiet. <laughs> I mean, I'm a hound of mercy still. I we don't really have a, a group name for everyone else yet. Okay, well then, paragons and hounds for now. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah. yeah. How about we go now, friends? I think our time has stayed. <laughs> okay. Uh, Abiku gets up in <laughs> Yep. Your group excuses yourself from Elder Pohaku's tent. And you walk outside into the brisk winter air. It is early bear at this point. And as we all know, bear's end is when Adolin is. 40 days until the anniversary of the cataclysm. The air here, the weave is fraught. It's frayed as you step out from the tent flap. You look around, you see these dilapidated shacks. You see these like low mountainous, icy capped hills on the lake surface in the distance. Uh, and everywhere is just sweat greased faces bonfires burning low spirits that are quite shredded just like their precious tapestry what do the four of you do immediately is like she's sort of like 
outside and sort of out of the purview of uh, the Elder. She's going to take her pamphlet of the Chromium Order and maybe just for flavor, cast just a tiny smidge of uh, investiture of flame so her hand just ignites and the whole Chromium Order pamphlet just turns to ashes. And then her hand just back. Were you not a fan of the pamphlet? These people that we're dealing with are very dangerous. Sievert nearly got me killed several years ago. This is going to be fun. Wait, so do a lot of your friends try and kill you? Is that what it's like around here? Look, at 111 years old, you know, sometimes your friends, your good friends try to kill you. It's, hasn't that happened to you, Biku? Well, I frankly would not know for all I know a friend killed me, and that's how I got here. I mean, in the Hound's friends. And I think Jerron just kind of trails off at that, um, remembering Blood that. Between, yeah. So, that doesn't sound g- good. That's not how friends were defined to me when I learned the word. A beakly. Maybe this is a good time to just teach you a little lesson of, like, sometimes people don't say what they mean. Sometimes there's sort of, like, words have the opposite meaning of what they mean. Why would you do that? That is very confusing to follow. I grew up in Jukai, where language is just kind of like that. No, that makes sense. I didn't, you know, everyone's from somewhere different. I did not mean to disregard that. You know, the, the important thing is we'll get through this. I just, they're not going to just let us walk on in unless we oh. have a good solid plan. I thought you were friends with Siebert. Isn't that our way in? That would be one of those times I said the exact opposite of what I meant. Lying? Some people call it lying. Some people just call it saying what needs to be said in the moment to get you through this moment so that you can get alive to the next moment. Surviving. See? I don't always agree uh, with my fiancé's decisions, but, uh, you know, when it comes to Sievert, I let a few things pass. Uh, That actually reminds me, um, just so I guess everyone here is aware... I feel like it's important to tell all of you, except for you, Jaron, that uh, if I see Sievert, I'm probably going to try to kill him. So I just want you to know what where I'm coming from. I'm trying to tell truth more often, but it's going to be difficult to see him and not want to just make his life end. Do we have maybe like a kill word? So like if we are just talking and we are almost to the thing we need that like we can say to be like, no, no, we think we got it. And then like we say and then it's like, OK, it's not working. So you don't like, you know, because we got to get to the 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 tapestry rug thing. You mean like a safe word? Yeah. Yes. How about I will make sure that we have whatever we need before killing Sievert. I mean, as long as you don't want me to help you kill Sievert, I don't really, I don't know him. Okay, hold on. Yes? Abiku holds on to her arm. You have all been understandably upset with me for what I did, and yet, V, you're here saying that you want to kill someone? I'm a little confused. Now, Sitlali made me promise no more secrets. And you're all part of the party now, so I feel like that's kind of a two-way street here. So, V, 
What gives? Why are you trying to kill this Sievert person? I mean, Elder Pahaku said the Chromium Order is helping Moroz. Why? That's a strange logic to bring to someone who went to the Chrysalis, which said they were just helping the people of Dabathati. Did you not also go to the Chrysalis? Did I not warn you after that to not go to the Chrysalis, and yet you did it anyway? <laughs> did I not tell you not to go? You did, but I wasn't intending... I wasn't intending to have a conversation with the Chrysalis. When I went, I was trying to infiltrate them. I was wrong, of course. I realize that now that apparently nothing gets by Adam. You can't sneak into the Chrysalis headquarters the way that I thought you could. But you all walked in there as well, B. Yes, before we knew anything about the Chrysalis. And I learned a, don't trust Chrysalis. B, they're probably going to get you murdered if you stay around them too long. And C, they will make you promises that they will not adhere to. Um, if you learned all that about the Chrysalis, did you ever plan to go back and deal with it? Oh, yes. Let me put it in my, my schedule book between, uh, I don't know, getting all those paragons or god shards, saving, uh, going through a carnival, helping Rev in the in the court, winning a race, rescuing Manaya's parents. Uh, what else did we do? Oh, I don't know. Save an emperor. Save Oka's family. I don't know. Yes, I'm sorry I didn't have time in my busy schedule the past year to uh, get all of this taken care of. I'm... I'm... I, I do apologize, but Dabathati was in a really bad place, and I don't know if you had seen what it was like, and I'm not blaming anyone, but it could have gotten a lot worse. That's all. I'll say this, I, I did not see what it became. I'll give you that. But I did see what it was early after this happened, and I saw a city that was n not taking care of its people. The chrysalis was feeding the poor and doing all these nice things. And so, I don't know, maybe perhaps seeing an organization that is helping people isn't always the best indicator that they're good people. That's my point. Wait, are we talking about chrysalis or things like for butterflies? Heavy uh, sigh from V. Like chrysalis or... We were talking about the Chromium Order. I am sorry, I got lost. I don't think I've been told everything. Uh, Abigu, Abigu, uh, it's okay. Uh, let me fill you in real fast. So the Chrysalis are a cult that I went to because they promised they can give you your ideal bodies. Oh, yes. Yeah, the remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your yep. face. With my, what? Oh, shh, shh, shh. my face is fine. <clears throat> my no, face is fine. It's a beautiful face. It's a beautiful, no. he is very beautiful. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, very beautiful. You don't have to, Abigu, it's embarrassing. They are beautiful, it's true. Which. <clears throat> And Costas clears their throat and, like, turns their, like, furred hood away from you, Jaron. They seem embarrassed when you say Even that. You think you're beautiful. But don't st I don't care Everyone what they thinks think. You, are, but you look very nice. You don't need to be... I told you that. I'm not what I'm sorry. And, like, off the sidebar, I think Rev chimes in and says, Whether we like it or not, and I don't. And her, like, gaze lingers on you, Jaron. We're in this together. My mess is your mess. V's mess is our mess. We can't... We can't go around just letting each other's messes 
fester. V, you know, I have complicated feelings about what you did with the chrysalis and leaving Dabathati in the shape it was. And I told Oka after they came back how grateful I was that they helped clean up that mess in Dabathati. And now I think, um, well, we just have to watch out for each other, right? We clean up each other's messes. That's what paragons do. We are not told paragons. Most of us here aren't paragons, actually. You keep, everyone keeps talking like that, but we aren't all paragons. Uh, what <laughs> equilibrium does? Okay. okay. <laughs> we go <get> satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> so, V, you still haven't answered the question. No secrets. What do you have against Sievert? Sure, let's say we can't trust the Chromium Order. Tell us at least what we should be ready for what we should expect anything i say at this point isn't for your benefit Ron. it's for everyone else standing here as far as i'm concerned i could care less about what happens to you that being said gentle costas abiku and yes rev years ago i fell in love with sievert i thought he was in love with me we ran cons together, we did a lot of fun adventures, we, you know, we were in the underbelly of Ndake. And about seven, almost eight years ago now, we were running a scam and a con, and we were robbing the tribes of Jukai of a very expensive, valuable item. And Siever betrayed me and uh, not only left me, but pretty much did everything in his power to make sure that I probably died trying to escape. And it was only begging for my life and promising to never step foot in Jukai again that I was granted one moment of not even forgiveness, but just the littlest amount of mercy to get my shit and get out of there as quickly as possible. And I have not gone back since. But when I tell you that this person, imagine what it feels like, Jaron, to feel like the person that you love very much tries to get you murdered on purpose. That's what Sievert did to me. And the Chromium Order, their, their reputation in the underworld of Vendake, they're just as messed up and, as any other group trying to get their fair share of power in Nandake. If they're run by Sievert, all they want is to get ahead. I mean, I'm still learning about them. Apparently, they're actually connected to dragons. All my knowledge before was that they were just some seedy group doing stuff, but now I've learned in this past year that they're doing stuff and maybe connected with dragons. Apparently, I might have a dragon for a father who might be associated with the Chromium Order. So that's what I'm interested in here. That's why I'm here. This sounds personal. If I'm going to die fighting the stranger, what we do here needs to be settled before I go. Well, I I can't speak for everyone, but I, I will make sure you get to do what you need to, friend. I appreciate that, Abiku. 
like I will make sure we all do. We all have something we have to do in the 40 days or so. I don't know that I can help you kill Sievert. As much as you may not believe me, it wasn't pleasurable killing someone for me. But I won't stop you. I'm here for the tapestry. And as long as we get that, you can do what you want. Oh, I meant finding of your dad. I am not. I I mean, if he tries to kill you, then maybe I don't. Sorry, I just I I realized I was not clear and I wanted to be very clear. I, I was not speaking on the murder. I was speaking on finding your father because that seems very important to someone to know their parentage. V and I swore an oath almost a year ago that we would help avenge each other's uh, injustices. So if V decides to try and kill Sievert upon meeting him, I will have to assist. Um, I uh, will help as long as innocent people don't get hurt. Um, that's what I can provide. Huh. Didn't expect death from you, Gentle. Why? Well, I mean, your name is Gentle. I mean, I don't want to hurt people. I really don't. And I, if we can avoid that, that'd be great, but... I am really good at fighting things. Huh. Well, I look forward to seeing you in action. Hopefully we won't have to. Huh. But if we do... Yeah, I, I mentioned dodging a bomb earlier. That wasn't a, a, a joke. I, I was in a room that exploded and I walked out unscathed. It's true, they did. I did hear Dude. that from Oka. That's impressive. That is impressive. But, yeah. So, we'll send you in first into Unknown Dungeons, noted. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we can reevaluate uh, who goes in first. I'm joking, mostly. It'll be you, Bait. It's true. You're lucky I'm trained to do this job, Rev. I, well, I could go in first. I've already died once. I don't know if it'll take again. No, Abiku. It's okay. When I was with the Hounds, this was literally my my job was to lure the monsters. I'm good at. Mimicking their their sounds. Oh, can you yeah. talk to birds too? Well, I mean, define talk because I can chirp at the birds and they'll chirp back, but I don't actually quite understand what I'm saying or what they're well, saying. She but... immediately gets uninterested. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, shall we uh, set out now? It's still pretty light in the day. We'll probably make some good progress northeast. Sounds like a good idea. And thank you all for your help, except for you, Jaron. Uh, I really, I appreciate it. All right. Bullshire. Such a shame. It's okay. We'll rebuild. We'll rebuild. And Costas turns and begins striding north out of Bullshire. And I think on that, the rest of you follow. It's travel time, baby. We can assume that you were all given maps and instructions by Elder Pohaku as well to get to the Chromium Order's headquarters. Where their headquarters are is not a secret. It's just a little remote. It's a little out of the way. It'll take a couple days by sled. And I think if you all want, Elder Pohaku will definitely offer up dog sleds and like a couple of like handlers to help with that. We cut to a side view of just like the fl flat Zima Lake from horizon to horizon. It's just like a line of just like dark blue ice, right? And we see running across it like a miniature convoy, three sets of sled dogs pulling all of your stuff and all of you. 
just running, like a pack of dogs running, 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 like breathing really heavily, looking extremely happy because these working dogs love to work. They're really, really into it. And we also see like Bud, this massive dire wolf also running aside it with like gentle, gentle, what do you look like as you're running aside this convoy? Gentle packs light, like they really don't carry a lot. So I think they are just like booking it uh, alongside Bud. Like this is honestly a nice, a nice workout. Gentle feels pretty good about this. Totally, yeah. And I think there's even like a moment where Bud's running alongside. Bud towers over these huskies, right? Bud is like two or three times the size of even the biggest like lead dogs on these sleds, right? Like Bud is like hoofing it, like looking to the side at these like huskies that also like the glance, like a couple of them glance up at Bud, but they've at this point gotten used to him and they continue to run. And Bud just lets out a, huh, huh, wow, they're, they're pretty fast. You're pretty yeah. fast too, Gentle. They say kind of reluctantly. Oh, I, yeah, no, I can, like, run on water and stuff, but I, you, you remember when I ran on water when you were, like, a baby? Are you trying to impress me or something? Because that's not impressive at all. Fair enough. Hmm. I think it's and, a like, little cool. Hmm. Bud speeds up, and, like, his tail becomes, like, a huge rudder that, like, swipes in your face a bit, and, like, he, like, pulls up, like, in front of you. Bud, why don't we have a race? Huh. Well, get ready to lose. And like Bud gets like starts to get really 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 fast, right? And like s like pulls up in front of in front of the dogs. I'm gonna use a key point. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I I'm gonna let him win still, but I'm going to use step of the wind so I can like make it seem close. Um, mm. Yes, yes, no, because like if I wanted to just say like screw the snow, I could just start flying, but uh, I want him to feel like a winner. <laughs> Oh, okay. So why don't you roll performance for me? Oh no. I performance can't. athletics. Let's say like it's a it's a strength or dex performance check. Okay. That's a bit better. That's a performance athletic. That's a funny set of words together. That is a 17 then. It's pretty good. I think that's sufficient. What what does step of the wind like look like for you? Gentle just gets even lighter on their feet. It's almost like they are dancing on like the ball, uh, like the balls of their feet, uh, and like bouncing almost. Mm, into that, you like bounce from ball to ball, right, of your feet as you race against Bud. And you know you could probably over overtake Bud if you tried, but you decide to make it neck and neck until like you reach like the finish line that both of you have agreed on and pointed out. Maybe like a a withered boulder in the distance and it's bud right you know beats you by like a foot right uh, like inches past and then like <sighs> skids on the ice and looks back at you <sighs> i beat you <sighs> i beat you yeah yeah uh, uh well so i'm gonna give you a reward because you did do good uh and just like a piece of like i think a jerky that i've been that i've been making <sighs> um all right so you're really fast I know. We should wait for everybody else. So let's take a minute to just breathe because I think we may have passed the group. <sighs> okay. You know how I got so fast, Gentle? You want to know how? You want to know how? How? Sybil would let me run around the monster fighting pit all around, all around the inside, all around. And they would time me and they'd say, wow, you've gotten fast. It's a minute off. Oh, now it's just a few seconds off. And now it's 30 seconds off. And that's how fast I got. I mean, if we want to race while we're here more. And then, like, sort of keep little timers. I'm fine with that, if you'd like that. Well, Sybil said I've peaked. So I don't know how much how much extra speed I'm going to take off my time. You can just run for fun. You had, If you had a good time, that's enough. 
Bud considers this, like, one, like, the big black eyes looking at you, and you, you swear they, like, angle their shoulders open a little bit more to you. But at that point, like, the sled dogs have, have caught up, and they, they run past this boulder, and Bud goes, anyway, we don't want to get left behind. Yeah, yeah, we should, but if you want to have any more races, I promise, I'll make time. Hmm. Only if you give me treats at the end. I'm still mad at you. And Bud turns and starts going. <laughs> and I think later that night, we like sort of fade into darkness uh, and we find like the warm glow of like a campfire, like set up in like the nook of, I think like a rocky overhang leading into like the opening to, to a cave, like a big mountain rising up uh, out of this lake. Cause this Zima Lake is a frozen lake. It is not like any other lake we have on earth. It is massive. And there are like mountainous structures and chasms and, and tunnels and whatnot, like all over this lake. It's not just flat all the time. So we're in like this little rocky overhang with like fire burning at the bottom of it. And I think like as tents have been set up, there's just sort of the panting of like sleeping and dozing sled dogs, like right? the handlers grooming them, feeding them, giving them water, etc. Uh, and I think that's when we find Jaron. Jaron, why don't you tell us what you're up to? Maybe this is like after dinner. So we've already eaten for the night and everybody has kind of put things away and we're just like unwinding for the night. And while Jaron had spent some time with Dewey, Dewey had been mentoring Jaron in the ways of the artificer. So he had gotten some... Uh, lessons from Dewey about like how to create different sort of like machines and things like that, how to sort of harness the weave into these uh, in order to like quote unquote like cast spells. And Jaron is kind of practicing that right now, I think. So he's taking his arm, which I think is sort of the main way that he tries to cast magic. And he is sort of tinkering around with it and trying to cast detect magic in the area, knowing that there are people here, there are things here that are magical. So he has a very sort of theoretically, like very like immediate feedback on whether or not they're actually doing it correctly. So they're just kind of like tinkering with their arm and like looking around, maybe like looking at V in particular, knowing that she is probably the most powerful uh, magic uh, spellcaster that we have in the party. I think V can, can like, she feels the weave when it's doing stuff and she can sort of, she's getting these vibes and you probably at a couple of times, cause you're probably like looking over at V a few times. And I, I imagine at some point their glances meet. I think also V would notice like Jaron practicing magic and be a little interested, but trying to feign disinterest because, you know, she does know a lot about magic at this point, or at least intuitively knows a lot about magic, maybe not intellectually, theoretically. And I think when their eyes catch, I think V kind of like stands up and maybe walks away a little bit. Having caught V's eye, Jaron is going to follow her with their eyes as she walks away, is confused and curious about why she's leaving and where she's going. So Jaron will get up and follow. Not like in a like in a sneaky way, like making it very clear that Jaron is approaching. He's used to like checking over her shoulder and stuff, and so after a moment, and they're like a little bit further away, so that you know, small talk at a normal pitch or and volume wouldn't be heard from the group. V, I think, just calls out Jaron. What are you doing? I uh, just wanted to see where you were headed. Um, 
Just wanted to make sure you're not, you know, getting lost in the area. What exactly are you looking for? V turns back. Since I found out that uh, it's quite possible that the Paragons are going to be dying, I kind of try to make it a point of, like, really looking at Ndake. I know it's real, real dark right now. We don't get the, the stars to light up the night, but uh, I like to just sort of take it all in, possibly for the last time. And Jaron just kind of, like, takes in the weight of what V has said. I can't fault you for that. Not much, though, I think that you're going to see in the darkness in the middle of nowhere. But, I mean, do you want somebody to walk with you? To look with you? I don't want you. V, I, I understand how you're feeling, or at least I can imagine how you must be feeling. But like Rev said, we're all, for better or for worse, working together now, so I think... Could you at least try? This is me trying. Are you sure? Because it really doesn't feel like it. When I had to look in Oka's eyes as Oka was telling me what happened in Debathati, look, I care deeply for Oka. Of everyone I've met in this past year, other than, say, Rev or Lotus, I would do anything for Oka. And seeing the way that you hurt them, I'm not going to just sit here and forgive you and pretend like everything's okay. I'm not asking you to. I'm just asking you to understand that I would do anything for Oka, too. That's... That's maybe what got me here in the first place. In the life that I've led, it takes one mistake to wind up dead, and I trusted Dewey only to nearly find myself completely ripped apart in the nothing plane because of someone that Dewey trusted. V, can I ask you a question? Yes. What would you do to keep Lotus alive, to keep Rev alive? I would fight the stranger and die for Endake. If my death would keep Rev, Oka, the rest of the Paragons alive, and Lotus, I would throw myself at the stranger immediately. I think you and I are not as different as you think we are, V. That may be true, but in what we're doing now, trust is everything. And if you think I'm just going to turn on trust for you, gravely mistaken. You don't have to trust me. Yes, no, I do. With what we're doing, I have to trust you. People are trying to kill the Pedagons. So, what will it take then? What will it take to make sure that the mission that we're on right now, that it succeeds? That we have the trust that we need not to fail? That's for something for you to think about and figure out yourself. And I'll know it when I see it. And V starts to walk away. And I think Jaron stays and 
thinks about what B had said about looking at Andake ever since realizing that this is maybe the last time that she will actually ever get to see it. And knowing that this is also possibly the last time that Oka will see Andake, I think Joran just kind of looks around at Morose, at the lake, the frozen over lake, the darkness, and tries to commit it to memory so that he can describe it for, for Oka when they meet again. And I think on that, dawn comes. And we cut to yet another montage of the dogs running, just running for miles and miles and hours and hours over this frozen expanse of lake. We see various towns in the distance, little shanty towns of various ice sculptures, their own dowels punched out of the surface, their own tapestries weaving around their towns, which is Morosian tradition, of course. Uh, we pass by various caverns, various hillocks, uh, frozen over with icy rocks. We pass by fresh ex expanse of just air, frigid, blowing at your faces, at your hair, prickling tears into existence in your eyes until yet another night falls, right? Another day passes, another camp is struck and erected. And I think on this like next night, right? In this leg of the journey, we find gentle, gentle. What are you doing at camp? I've brewed some tea. Think if it's late enough, Bud's probably already went to bed. And I'm probably just sitting somewhere looking up at the sky. Enjoying it. Gentle, as you're just sitting there, taking a load off, right? Enjoying the dinner you've just cooked for everyone. Looking at Bud, looking out at the starless dark beyond the paltry light shed by your fire. V. Is that when we find you approaching, or how do you make an entrance? I think, yeah, V is going to digesting food and maybe find a spot, not on the complete opposite side of the bonfire, but like maybe like a four, you know, 45 to 90 degree angle. So it's close, but not too close and not completely too far. And I think V is going to be like, so did you really survive a bomb? I think Gentle sits up a little bit. Um, yeah, no, it was like a mail bomb thingy. Um, it was left for, uh, Oka, and I was the only one, uh, around because everyone fought right before then. Yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't cool. It was kind of cool that I didn't get hurt, but, uh, it was a lot of noise, which wasn't great. I'm sorry about the noise, but I consider myself a pretty agile person, but the survive unscathed, the bomb blowing up in the same room, that's I gotta say, that's impressive uh, it's just my body kind of moves on its own sometimes when like, uh, there's danger, you know, just instincts, I mean like once we fought like a big empty beast on like a lake, so I ran on the lake and that was also one of those things it just kind of happens sometimes the lake made of water yeah. No, I can I can like run on water a little bit and like on on wall like if like a wall is I can like run up walls if I'm go I have a decent head start. That's really cool, gentle. Is it? There's I probably mean, other people who can do that. Sure, there might be others, but 
I've been around for a long time, and let me tell you, you're, you're, that's, that's not an everyday occurrence. You see people running on water, or I saw you running with those. You were, you were literally running faster than the dogs pulling our sleds the other day. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, it, you know, it's just all part of like practice and training and everything. You're very humble. Yeah, I mean, I'm not good at compliments. Uh, they're, they're a lot. <laughs> okay, I mean, if, I don't have to compliment you if you prefer, if it's uncomfortable for you. I just... No, like, compliments are good, and I should be able to accept them. But... I'm not good at accepting them, so this is like a thing I should practice more. Would you like me to help practice? Sure. I hear from Oka that you gave a pretty good speech in Dabathati. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, no, um, I just said what I, I felt about everything and how important it is for us to work together and, like, build connections instead of finding hope in people who might take advantage of it um it yeah i it just i didn't like how much people were blindly throwing their faith into something when there was a lot of people getting hurt from it including bombs in in a room randomly yeah that's it's a very valid point you know i um after i received scott and nectis i uh put in front of the people of the championship of the ball and had to impromptly speak to everybody. And a lot of things you're saying actually is like the things I was telling people is that, you know, there's, there's hope and there's, it requires us though, working together. So I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us are here because we do want to make and get better and save everybody and, I, I don't think anyone's here on accident, if that makes sense. I've been learning anything this past year. It's that uh, it doesn't seem like much of this is an accident at all. Yeah, I'm not the most plugged in on the history or mythology to everything. I'm, I'd, I'd say I'm in the moment, but I don't know if that's honest either. But I like to do what I can, which is being fast and helping people. Can I be honest with you then? Of course. If I had met you a year ago, I would have ripped you off so badly. That makes sense. That's what Sybil did. Because um, I was very trusting. Yeah. Very easy mark, but I just want you to know that everyone I've talked to who knows you, I mean mainly Olka, speaks very highly of you. Thank you. Um, and can I say that I'm proud of you for growing to the point that you wouldn't rip me off? It's not too late for me to rip you off. I'm, you may be very dexterous, but I've got some very, very dexterous hands myself. I believe you, but, but I also believe that you wouldn't do that anymore. Not unless it was, like, for a game. At least putting forward the thought that my time here is short, I want to try... To live in a way that if and when I die, I can be proud of these final few months of my life. 
that's fair. I hope that these aren't the final few months of your life. The strange part of being a paragon is I feel like I just have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. If it makes you feel better, someone who isn't a paragon, that's what I do every day too. I like you, gentle. I like you too. I I, I do hope that you and Tehran become more friendly. That would be nice, but one thing at a time. Yeah, let's just enjoy this moment. And, you know, if things happen between Jerron and I, I will be open to the possibility that maybe if something unpredictable happens that I can't foresee in my mind, maybe Jerron and I will find a reason to trust each other. All I'm hearing is there's a chance, and that's enough. Look, when you're playing cards or or mahjong, there's always a chance, right? Exactly. Unless the unless the table is rigged, and it wouldn't be. I sure hope not. It was nice to get to talk to you out of here. Um, I'm used to spending a lot of my nights like this alone, while everyone else are in like tents and doing what the hounds do. But. This was a nice conversation to have this late at night. You know, normally I'd be with Rev right now, but you know, it's nice to do something different than the same thing every single night. You know how it. No, it's. Wait, no, you seem uncomfortable. Wait, but no, it's. It's it's, it's fine. (laughs) And then both of you just hear a voice uh, being like, V? V, where are you? I got the thing working again. Where, huh? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but Gentle, it was great to have a conversation with you. Let's let's do this again sometime. Of course. This awkward, like, uh, <laughs> good, good, good night. Goodbye. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a nice I'll see you tomorrow. And <laughs> I think, I think for Gentle, it's just a, a soft chuckle and a sip of tea and just... Some things don't change. V, like, stands up, like, sort of, like, almost skippingly towards the tent and just, like, dives in. (laughs) On the uh, tent flap swapping, right, uh, we're going to transition to a brand new day. Dogs running across the ice, the handlers mushing. And just like the previous two days, it's just the expanse of Zima, various villages, a few sparse travelers on the road that you're passing here and there, big icy caverns, stalagmites punching out of the ground, parts where the ice sort of cracks and breaks off into these, like, I think, hot pool vents that rise out of pockets on the uh, hardened ice underneath you. And everything seems to be going as normal on this third day of travel until one of the handlers calls back at your party, their voice booming over this expanse of air. Hey, uh, Equilibrium, right? I see a traveler up ahead, but uh, they seem to be alone and they're stumbling a little. Should we slow down? Yes. Yes. Yes, slow down. What do they look like? I can't really tell, uh, come on, come on. All across all three sleds, like the dogs begin to slow down to like a, to I think a sprightly trot. And all of you see 500 meters in front of you and rapidly closing the gap. Appears to be a stumbling person, 
they're like wrapped up in like thick winter clothes, right? But as you get closer, Abiku, you notice this first from only like a hundred meters away. Their boots are worn so thin that their feet are bleeding, leaving a trail of bloody footprints on the snow behind them. But they are determinedly, doggedly staggering and stumbling northward. And as like the dogs slow down and start to pass them a little, but like slow enough that they can be pulled to a halt at a moment's notice, all of you see that this person is a woman, a copper dragonborn woman with this sort of like long black hair underneath this like scarf and this like headdress and this like thick like hood draped in these twin braids sort of framing her 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 face and then stuffed into her scarves she's got these like bright gold eyes that as the dogs pass like flick rapidly like across your party and you notice that she's carrying a baby uh that's strapped in a baby bjorn in front of her chest and the bjorn is made of denim it's a denim baby Bjorn. A Bjorn, if you will. And V, you recognize her. This is the dragonborn woman that was giving birth in the Butte. The very night of the Cataclysm. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Purple Mouse, Riley, Scruffisus, and Target.